I remember, um, so I'm, I, I talk about this all the time on my podcast. I was an LDS missionary and one, I feel like one of the things I did most as a missionary for my church was just like destroy horrible myths that get spread <laughs> around about who like we are and what we believe. And I remember hearing one about how, cause you know, there's like the Salt Lake temple, right? It's like this mm-hmm. landmark. And there was, and somebody told me that like they trap girls in there and that the reason he knows this is because he knows a girl who was trapped in the temple and she jumped out of the window into the great salt Lake and swam away. And like, if you've ever been to Utah, like the Great Salt Lake is miles to the east or to the west. Like you're, there's no way that that's even possible. But it's like these these sorts of things that we just make up because, <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bottomless Broadway, where we talk musicals over mimosas, which is the tagline we will keep using, even though I don't think we've ever once recorded with a mimosa in hand. (laughs) Cindy isn't here today, but I'm Christine, and I'm here once again with our very special guest, Jeff Parsons from a musical theater podcast, here to talk with me about soft power. Christine, I'm so excited to be here, and I am a little bit jealous that we are talking about it on your show instead of my show. <laughs> also, I need to put out there that I do have my reduced fat chocolate milk box again because it is a tradition when I speak with Amazing. you. Amazing. Yes. We yes. love it. <laughs> love the chocolate milk. I do have my standard glass of wine again. So we're all set. We're set to go. Do you have five words for soft power yes five word review for soft power which i saw opening night at the amundsen in los angeles here we go hold on let me (laughs) let me make sure i have this right most genuinely original theater experience yes i would a hundred percent agree i was blown away i had never experienced anything like this in the theater it was insane so mine is sorely needed asian american representation yes which so just for anyone who is not familiar with this show this show the cast is entirely asian except for one the leading lady is white um elise allen lewis and but everyone else is asian which is incredible can you talk can you take me through your um how do I? I don't even. I, I'm sorry. White guy problems over here. What is your ancestry? Oh, yes. So I am Chinese. Okay. So, yeah. So, this was a super cool musical. So, just to also give a quick summary before we start talking too much about it. Um, yes. So, I also saw this in LA. It was in LA in 2018 and then came to the public theater last fall in 2019. And when it was in L.A., I don't know if you experienced this as well, but they seemed kind of hush-hush about what it was all about. 100%. And I have their original summary that they gave on, like, Today Ticks, where I got my tickets. Oh, cool. I want to hear. It just says, 
a Chinese executive in 2016 America finds himself falling in love with a good-hearted U.S. leader. As the power balance between their two countries starts to shift and a new world order arrives. Wow. All right. Vague. Does not tell me very many things. But 2016 is important. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Right. That's that would be the the pivotal piece of information in that entire summary. The posters looked like an American in Paris, like it was an American in Beijing. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. um, and so I was fully expecting kind of an East meets West version of an old school musical. When I was walking into the theater, that is what I was expecting. That's definitely what I was thinking, too. And I, w- and I expected it to be kind of like a like star-crossed lovers, oh, like China, America, this will never Romeo work out. Juliet. Right, right, right. Yeah, you know, they're going to they're gonna come through and like, which is, I guess, kind of what happens, just to give a little more background. They also call it a musical within a play. Love that. Because the whole first section of this show is basically a play, and then you end up in this sort of fever dream that takes form as a musical and that musical is sort of a reversal of shows like King and I, where this sort of white savior goes to a quote unquote, like backwards country and tells them everything they're doing wrong and plays into some very strong stereotypes. So in this case, the savior figure is the Chinese man who goes to America and the good-hearted U.S. leader, as mentioned in the summary, is actually Hillary Clinton. Also for clarity, the fever dream of this musical is a musical that's been written like a hundred years from now. So it's like the most popular musical of the next century. Right. Yeah, it's projecting exactly into the future. Yeah, this will be this will be the hallmark of musical theater. Mm hmm. In the um, so it's written by Janine Tesori and David Henry Huang. And, like, I mean, already those two names are just, you're like, okay, they've got to be up to something good. Yeah. And yeah, and like David Henry Huang is Chinese, has written a lot of plays about the experience of being Asian American. And Janine Tesori, of course, has written like Fun Home and Violet and Thoroughly, Thoroughly Modern, Modern Millie. Millie. Yep. So now we have... This, which also spoofs a lot of very classic R&H and Music Man and mm-hmm. all those classic musical tropes. Shout out to uh, East West Players in Los Angeles, which is a small theater company um, taking pride in presenting the stories of uh, people of Asian descent and always giving employment to uh, actors of Asian descent and they were in on the producing end of this and and kind of the uh the creation of this mm-hmm. it's so cool to see what they changed and and also how relevant it how more relevant it has become especially now with the pandemic and with all of that sort of um like xenophobia increasing mm-hmm. there was just a debate last night in which china was blamed for the failures of our Mm -hmm. current leadership. Yeah. This came out in 2018. Now, one of the things that are, that is really 
universal in terms of creating musicals is that they take a long freaking time. (laughs) It's always at least four to six years to see a musical come to fruition. And the election happened in 2016. And then by 2018, they are having a fully mounted production of this in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. followed by a New York premiere then the following year. That is unheard of. It's insane. And also... Because this wasn't the original conception of this musical, like when the 2016 election of results came out, they basically had to throw everything out and rewrite it. Because wow. the original version was that um, this Chinese executive would come to America and help Hillary Clinton, who was the president, on oh, gun rights. And then the election happened and they were like, well... This Whoa. is an entirely different world than what we were expecting. Man. Okay, that's fascinating. I figured we can sort of go through this like you do on a musical theater podcast where we'll <laughs> sort of start Trademark. at the beginning, just talk our way through <laughs> because there's five million things to talk about with the show. Absolutely. I love that. So, yeah. So I think um, the first scene is... David Henry Huang does a lot of self-inserts in his work. So he has his, this character of DHH, played by Francis Zhu, talking to the Chinese executive that was mentioned in the summary, Xue Xing, and he's played by Conrad Ricamora, and they're talking about creating a show together. The idea is to make it big enough so that it's seen and beloved all across the world, like so many American works of art. Yeah, they talk about it kind of like a sex in the city for (laughs) China, where like one of the stars of the show (laughs) is the actual city or the actual country. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they do change between the LA run and the New York run is that in the LA run, they're talking about creating a TV show based on an already popular Chinese TV show. And then in the New York run, they talk about creating a musical. So they they're already like, I want you to write a musical, you're a playwright, you you know, I want it to be like Mamma Mia or Lion King. Okay, so it's kind of planting that in his brain for when Mm -hmm. he has the fever dream later. And I, I do wonder a little bit if that change was always planned and if it was just like, let's play to the hometown crowd, like we're in LA, so let's talk about making a TV show and we're in New York, so let's talk about making a musical. But I do think since this is a musical, having it as a musical makes more sense. It's a fair point. Also, like just to jump ahead a bit, part of the reason why this show is called Soft Power, Soft Power refers to like cultural influence where it's not just the size of your army, it's how you can influence other cultures with what your sort of views on the world are. Yeah, it's basically using your culture instead of guns yeah. to influence the world. Yeah, so Xue Xing wants to create that for China because China is a growing superpower, but it still doesn't have this sort of cultural influence that America does. And so they kind of go back and forth about what this show should be about because the origin that um, Xue Xing gives to DHH is this show about this one couple where each part of the couple is unhappy in their marriage and they have separate affairs and then ultimately they realize their duty to each other and their child and they get back together even though they don't love each other. 
And he's like, everybody in China loves this. This is like the most popular show ever. And America's like, get a divorce. (laughs) (laughs) Follow your heart. (laughs) So exactly. Which sets up this main differences between these two cultures uh, that we explore during the show. In China, you have duty. And in America, you have heart. Mm-hmm. And they make a really great, I think, argument for the importance of both and not one over the other. Um, and speaking to your point of how it may even feel more relevant now, I think the response to this pandemic kind of shows how, <laughs> how duty <laughs> can really step in and help save an economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, China's approach to it, though militaristic and maybe overstepping in our eyes, proved to be very effective. Yeah. So while I am very grateful to be living in this country and will 100%, you know, like pledge allegiance to the flag, I do <laughs> admit <laughs> that in this particular situation that we find ourselves in, maybe we should have taken a, a little bit of a lesson from our Chinese brothers and sisters, you know? Yeah. And that is um, this idea of learning from each other is something that comes up in the next scene where they're at a campaign rally with Hillary Clinton, because again, this is set in 2016 before the election. So they're at this campaign rally. Part of the campaign rally is that they go see a production of The King and I. And there's so much going on in this one scene. Um, You meet Xue Xing's girlfriend, Zoe. And she is like the um, Bernie supporter, very liberal, also an actress. Um, Hates King and I. Yeah, (laughs) hates the King and I. I I sometimes worry about talking about this stuff. I I think the King and I is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And the more that I study about Oscar Hammerstein of Rodgers and Hammerstein who wrote it, the more I'm convinced that the intentions were in the correct place Mm -hmm. for the time. And so I can't fault them. Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't an original story by them either. For sure. I also have friends, though, who, you know, because The King and I is outlawed in Thailand. Like, you can't produce that thing. I didn't know that. Um, And so there, I have friends who have said that The King and I should never be produced if the country that it's about is against it as firmly as as Thailand is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they're at the King and I. And so the way that Zoe talks about it is she's like, this story is so dumb and they're all talking in stupid accents, even though it takes place in their own country. All the, the natives are made to look really dumb. But then as they're talking, you know, they all still love the King and I because the term she uses is the delivery system is fantastic which Mm -hmm. is just to say musical theater transcends bounds. Hallelujah. And I mean, like, I'm I'm on board with that because we talked a little bit about Carousel on your show and how Mm -hmm. the story can be problematic, but just the score and the the ballet and the acting and everything that goes into it is gorgeous. Can transcend. It really Mm -hmm. can. While they're talking about that, Shri Xing goes and ends up meeting Hillary Clinton offstage. And he's like, wow, what an amazing woman. She's the most qualified candidate to ever run for president. She's definitely going to win. Your country can't fuck this up. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, we all know, yes, we can. 
Yeah, we, we sure can and we sure did. Now, can we pause just briefly and talk about Conrad Ricamora? Yes. And he was also in The King and I in the revival. Exactly. Um, he played Young Lover. He is so charming, cutie patootie, sings oh, like great. a bird. He needs mm-hmm. to be in more musicals. He's on How to Get Away with Murder. Mm-hmm. But, uh, man. I do think this show, even after New York, and again, we talked about how short of a time frame it had. I do think it's still a lot rough around the edges. Oh, but for sure. The way that he's he's like able to deliver lines without making them seem cheesy, even when they really are very cheesy sometimes. And you're just, he's so earnest about everything. The complexity that he is simultaneously the one of the warmest individuals or warmest characters on stage and also the one constantly talking about duty. Like mm-hmm. that that is that's nuance. You know what I mean? Um to be carrying both of those at the same time. Yeah, you can understand his struggle with what he's left behind in China. More Conrad, please. We love you, Conrad. Then we get to election night. You see DHH. He goes to get groceries, I believe. And in this very, like, out of nowhere move, he gets stabbed in the neck, which is based off a true event that happened to the actual David Henry Huang, like, very soon after the election, he got stabbed. Um, he like basically dragged himself to the hospital, barely survived. And he just felt in his heart of hearts that it was connected to the hostility that had been stirred up by the election, particularly against the Chinese. Now, to to talk about difficult things to portray on stage... You know, we do have this leader from China and Conrad did, uh, Mr. Rickamora, I don't know him by first name, uh, <laughs> did, did a fantastic job. But also to to write a character based on yourself is, it rarely goes well, you guys. You know what I mean? Like, think of, think of M. Night in Lady in Water, right? Where <laughs> that, that movie where like, He's playing a writer who saves the world, you know, and you're just like, oh, it just it doesn't sit well. So the idea that that he's kind of crafted a character that has the same acronyms as his actual name and it doesn't feel phony or self-important in any way. Mm -hmm. Another really interesting line that they're walking very carefully. Yeah. And it's it's funny because. In a way, he's the main character because he frames the entire show. Mm-hmm. But also, once we get into the meat of the show, into the musical portion, he's a, very much a secondary character. Right. He's an observer. Yeah. So it's, I, and I think that serves him well as a self insert and as just a character because he is the, the American immigrant. He is that in between like both Chinese and American, which um, we do get to a little later in the show. Mm-hmm. And whereas Conrad McMora is playing the fully Chinese guy, and then um, we have Hillary Clinton as fully American. It makes sense for him to be the observer since he is not completely on one side. Yeah, yeah, he's but, a bridge. Yeah, and so as he is doing like a very mini like dream ballet-esque kind of thing (laughs) passing out from his stab wound um 
he's talking about falling into this fantasy. Um, I think the the way that it's it's done is a little bit different in New York and in LA because I remembered being super confused about what was happening in LA, but it seemed a little more clear in New York, possibly also because I knew what was happening, but he falls into this fantasy and you hear the strings start tuning, um, this orchestra that you wouldn't have known was there unless you looked at the playbill beforehand. Yeah, we've we've been in the theater now for, what, 20 minutes and have yet to hear a single song. So this is the first time we're hearing Mm -hmm. anything and and it's the full orchestra. They're just tuning and it's all of a sudden a magical moment. Mm Mm-hmm, so true. New York staging does this gorgeous reveal where he's in front of um, the show curtain and then the curtain opens and the whole the orchestra is on scaffolding where sort of each person is like in their own section um, just up against the back wall of the theater and they're backlit and it's it's gorgeous and then like you see dancers come on and it's just this magical magical moment and so he's says as he's sort of losing consciousness he says something along the lines of like and finally i could see what trishing wanted me to write and what his vision was of this new show that we're gonna do then you get to the musical portion and i was very confused at this part when i first saw it because the first scene you see is Shrishing in China, about to board a plane, talking to his daughter, and um, and I hadn't realized that we were falling into like fantasy world. I thought this was still somewhat linear, but now all of a sudden we were singing. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I don't know, did that? What was your experience watching this part of the show? High entropy, <laughs> <laughs> like the, it was. It it definitely took some like recalculating um type of uh type of situation on my end but i also kind of live for that Mm -hmm. i because i trusted the people who were in charge and i think that that um i i guess that's where maybe my musical theater knowledge comes in handy because i'm like okay it's janine tesori like even if you're confused, all will all will be revealed, right. Jeff. You know, so uh, so I kind of loved being in that place of what is going on. Wait, this is the same guy that I saw in the first part, but now he's singing. Oh my gosh, is this like a retelling? And mm. and then um, as it goes on, you realize because and and this is where the composer Janine Tesori really steps up to to the to the mat or to the plate. Oh, I'm not great with, (laughs) with athletic (laughs) metaphors. Yeah. Um, because she is such a musician and I really feel like she was just so excited to delve into this score, which is essentially an Eastern look at Western musical theater. Mm -hmm. 
So right from the top, when he starts singing, the way that the melody is moving, there is something familiar about it. And yet, you know, it is not Western musical theater. Right. A pastiche through a specific lens. Mm-hmm. And um, and boy, I, I immediately just... I, I don't think I've ever listened to a score more carefully in the theater because of the intricacies. This is a Chinese musical in the tradition of Western musicals. Mm-hmm. It took me until like intermission to figure out what was going on oh shoot that's a long first act (laughs) i'm slightly ashamed i mean i was like in on the ride for the musical portion i was like i don't know what the whole first half of this show was at all but i'm here (laughs) i'm ready to go we'll figure it out eventually yeah and so the first song is the first full song is called dutiful and it again, sets up this idea of Chinese values as duty and needing to be true to your family, even if that doesn't necessarily mean being true to yourself. Um, Shui Xing talks to his daughter about why he needs to go to America. And also now you start to see what sort of lens they're using because the daughter's like, oh, I heard America is super dangerous. Everyone owns a gun. You'll get shot on sight. They hate Chinese people. And it's, um, you're starting to get this sort of outsider's view of America. But also this song is gorgeous. He talks about his father and how he moved from his like family's village and brought this rock to um, remind (laughs) him of of where he came from. And the way that Conrad Ricamora sings, it's a rock, is (laughs) like the most beautiful phrase. (laughs) <laughs> it is. It's a beautiful opening number of even yeah. though they are, you know, literally talking about a rock, which w- once again, the detail of the of the tone that they're hitting here. This is funny because it's an American audience being like, oh, it's a musical. It's an opening number about a rock. <laughs> right. Like that yeah. would never happen here. And yet it's done so earnestly from the Eastern point of view that, and the music is stunning and the orchestration is lush. Like it's such a fascinating tone that no mm-hmm. other musical has. And and you can kind of see how I think in the culture of the, in the Chinese culture, how connected they are to their roots and how much this one rock means to him. Stop and think of your grandpa. And the sacrifice he made for family. Now dry your tears and smile. Papa, I'm afraid. Papa, I'm scared for you. What is this America? You don't belong in America. It's a rock. Papa, you I'm can afraid. hold it Papa, in your hand. Papa, it's I'm a rock. that rock off to his daughter because he needs to go to america and he boards a plane and this was like the best joke that was cut from the la run because he boards the plane and the plane is like we're now arriving in hollywood airport which is very obviously not a real airport it's not a thing (laughs) 
In the New York run, they change it to New York Airport, which is also not an airport because you have JFK and LaGuardia, but it's not as funny because, like, it could be an airport. And the other thing they say as they're, like, they're saying, like, oh, we're about to arrive at Hollywood Airport. He's like, there's the Golden Gate Bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that geography checks out. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. It's so silly. It's so true, though. And we do that to places that we've never been. We just assume... You know, but yeah, so he lands and depending on the version you're watching, either Hollywood Airport or New York Airport. (laughs) And it should be noted here that, again, the whole rest of the cast is Asian. They're all in like white face, we'll call it, where they're wearing like blonde wigs. From here on out, everybody's in a blonde wig and has a gun. Right. They all carry guns. They're like talking in this over the top southern accent. I think the first guy you meet, his name is Bobby Bob. (laughs) <laughs> and and they immediately like you know try to cost him and be like yo give us your money and they like rob him or whatever um while <laughs> while like rapping yeah while rapping um this is the second song welcome to america and it's it's funny because um david henry hong wrote a track by track commentary on this this score You're and kidding. one of the things he wrote for this song is this number flips the trope where a westerner lands in some developing nation to find himself assaulted by a mob of grabbing hands and greedy faces when you think about it is that actually so different from landing at jfk <laughs> he's not not wrong need a ride Want a rolex Call me out. need a guide yo yo welcome to our crazy fucking country but you know i will protect you i see you're not white but you know i will respect you with your gold billfold so let me be your guide yo i can see in all directions because i'm round-eyed bang bang dirty hairy bang bang i'm your ride with my crucifix and gun i'll shoot a holy in your side bang bang dirty hairy bang bang to the head in the land of the free and the home of the dead so um Shrishing finds himself a protector who is Bobby Bob and takes him to his new office where he sets up shop and meets with DHH. We see DHH and this is kind of a remounting of that first scene we saw in this show where he's like, hey, I want you to write this show. It's going to bring China to greatness and here's how it's going to happen. And DHH is like, no, but I'm an American. I write American stories and in American stories. It's got to follow you. You got to follow your heart. He has a very specific mental image of China as being, you know, underdeveloped, um, very polluted, all of that. And Xue Xing's like, well, you've never actually even been to China, how would you know? And they start singing this song called Fushing Park, which might be my favorite song of the show. It's another gorgeous song. <laughs> Janine Tesori just cranking them out. Man. Now, have you been to China? I have, yeah. Okay, I hate to say it, mm-hmm. but like that, that was my view. So hearing a song like Fushing Park was like, oh my gosh, of course they of course they have a beautiful park. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like why why have I not heard of this? Why why don't I think of this when I think of China? Mm-hmm. It's crazy how much China, especially the cities, cuz we'd always go to um Shanghai and Shanghai changed like the entire skyline changed because they've just been building and building and industrializing and I do think like they are trying a lot to improve their image in in like international circles and all of that so i haven't been to fushing park but of the parks that i've gone to it is very communal 
And so this song, part of it is also just describing all your conceptions of China are wrong, Mm -hmm. but also um, in the, in the middle of the song, DHH talks about how his father came to America, never looked back, became a successful businessman, but still faced a lot of sort of racist commentary and just never quite felt like he fit in. Even if he bought the best suit, like worked the hardest, he still never completely fit in. And, Shrishing is like, well, I think you should come to China and see what it's like there because you will be one of us. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of see DHH's opinions change. David, I think you want to work in China. 10,000 yes, dreams maybe more China. Paths that seem to stretch to the sea. You are the place where he felt free. Free. Well, do you think that there is a there's a construct, especially in situations like this, where you do experience that sort of prejudice, and so therefore, consciously or subconsciously, you push aside any sort of Chinese culture that may be ingrained within you because it in many ways it's just holding you back from being accepted as a real American? I definitely think that exists. It was also that that idea of watching TV shows and watching movies and like those never seem to be accurate portrayals of my life. When the TV show Fresh Off the Boat came out, that oh, yeah. was a revelation. Like, even though it was set like 10 years before I was in um, middle school, mm-hmm. a lot of that was very similar to how my childhood was. I mean, I think definitely it was kind of like, we're American. Why aren't we doing these things that all this pop culture is telling me that Americans do? Was 100%. Yeah. Probably a, a big part of what it was like growing up as well. Yeah, that's interesting. So to come back to this story. <laughs> yes, this story. Took, we took a bit of a tangent. So DHH um, has this sort of revelation of maybe I should reconnect with my roots. And then he's like, oh, hey, by the way, I have tickets to um, Hillary Clinton's campaign rally. You want to come with me? <laughs> and then we... Um, <laughs> highlight, highlight. And Shirsing's like, oh, cool. Like, where is it? And DHH is like, only the most famous American restaurant, McDonald's. Which is just true. (laughs) You see the golden arches, like the set, come in from the side. And this like giant hamburger come in. And it's like, and this was the part where I was like, I truly have no clue what this musical is anymore. (laughs) Like, I don't, like the first few songs were so earnest. And now I'm in this glamorous mcdonald's but it it is so true like i've grown to embrace the fact that one of the things that the things that makes us unique are or is cowboy boots and also country music and you you know and i guess i haven't really accepted this one mcdonald's (laughs) and and that is how a lot of countries in the world see us and what is funny is that we're not okay with that but then when it comes to the other side of us understanding them or boiling down their entire existence to 
a few trademarks, we have no problem with it. Mm-hmm. And so this musical is ingeniously bringing that to our awareness. Yeah. And McDonald's is also this example of American soft power. It's everywhere. Yeah. So you you see this? It looks like a, um, oh, what does it look like? It, it's like a jazz club kind of set. For sure. with like the golden it, arches. It's like, yeah, it, it looks like a stand-up comedian slash cabaret act, but with like a giant Big Mac as the... Mm-hmm as the <laughs> as the focal point i i will say i think the sets in la were a little bit better than the sets at the public and i, I do okay. think part of it is the public has a much smaller stage and probably I was say, less wing is space. Huge. yeah um hillary comes on played by elise allen lewis yeah so she so hillary is holding her like like a campaign rally at mcdonald's Yes, yes. This is the location of her rally. I think she stands on top of the hamburger, this like giant hamburger yes. set piece. This song is so brilliant. She She's talking about like facts, like very boring facts that nobody wants to hear because if government actually was interesting, right. more of us would run for yeah. it. You know what I mean? It Like the truth is we like to trash politics as much as we can, but like Government is not always fun, and if we would like to see it done better, maybe we should run for office. That being said, Hillary Clinton, this this character and individual who's very passionate about policies and and numbers and facts, has created these brochures that she's singing about, and literally no one is listening to yeah. her because it's not entertaining. So her campaign manager gets her attention and is like hey, you're losing them. And she's like, all right, you know what? Like rips off her outer clothes. (laughs) She she has like on a trench coat and underneath the trench coat is this like red, white, and blue spangled sequin number. Leotard. (laughs) Yes, yes, Wonder Woman. Oh my gosh, she's like, all right, right. we're going to do a show and just goes through like five different dance genres. Um, they're like they, it's kind of like that improv game where they just call out a different genre and she's like I'm I'm doing this and just like dances through all of them um, yeah and she's like how about this you like um, some of credit these to Sam Pinkleton for the choreography and it's it's also very referential so funny. to Broadway choreography like I think there was a bit of on the town in there I think there was um, like Fred Astaire in there <laughs> yes the whole idea being that as much as you may want to bring about change to the country the whole idea of running mm-hmm. for, for president is a show you got to put on a show to get the masses to vote for you because ultimately the masses, the same people who have made McDonald's the most popular restaurant are in charge of making sure that you are the leader of the free world. Solving complicated problems takes time and expertise. Can affirm short term any instant guarantees. Democracy demands we engage the grassroots so let's debate the tax rate and implications of these statutes. Show. Hit it. 
afterwards, DHH and Shueshing go up to her and talk to her a bit, and people get offended that she's talking to like a Chinese man. They have like a little bit of a discussion about why does he get to vote if he like won't bother educating himself on the issues and also like goes around threatening people and all of that. And it's the idea of like, is democracy actually the best way to run a government comes up so much throughout the show. And in the context of 2016, where I think, you know, uh, one candidate won the election in terms of the popular vote and you know, but it still didn't translate to an actual win. That plays to kind of those doubts of mm-hmm. how did this happen? Yeah. Um. So then, as they continue talking, one of the things that Shishing talks about is how Hillary Clinton can't say his name right. She very obviously <laughs> is not saying it right. Trying so hard trying so so hard and so they launch into this other song called it just takes time which is very rogers and hammerstein teaching song it's like do re mi it's um it's kind of getting to know you it's you know it's um and because in the chinese language there are these four tones and so every vowel that you have in a word has to have one of these four tones to tell you like how to pronounce the vowel and different tones. Which I had no idea. It's like a part of language that I have never even considered. Right. That it's not just about the words, but literally the tone in which you use. And that's why whenever people try to learn Chinese, it's very obvious. And my brother is worse at this because he gets all the tones wrong. When we go to China and we try to speak to people in Chinese, they're like, oh, are you from America? And we're like, yes. Oh, guilty. (laughs) That's so funny. So he doesn't have the tones and neither does Hillary Clinton. Like she just, she cannot understand these four different tones unless she does it accidentally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So there's four tones. They go through each of them and Uh, then they go into this like King and I shall we dance dance break. Full on polka. One, two, three. And oh, it's great. It's amazing. It's planting the seed of this friendship or connection, whatever it's going to be. It just takes time. It just takes time. It feels so new. It feels so new for the girl from Chicago, USA. I've never asked my lips, never asked my lips, never asked my lips to go that way. It just takes time. Uh, we should also say that there is a cast album of this show and it's very much worth the listen. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's great. One thing with the cast album is it would help a lot to have liner notes for this because if you don't know the conceit of the show, it is probably very confusing. Yeah, you'll need this episode to go along with listening yeah. to the album. Yeah, so just like listen along <laughs> as we we talk about it. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely worth the listen just just to see like all the different styles that janine tesori writes in like you will hear a moment and go oh that's so music man but then you're already on to something else yeah. you know it, it's still wholly original there is no borrowing for long extended periods of time mm-hmm. yeah which is it, it's just enough to keep it keep it in your mind that this is a mm-hmm. classic golden age musical 
but not yes. to distract you and be like, oh, this is just Sound of Music again. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so after this song, we get to... <laughs> I know I said Fushing Park might be my favorite, but I think this is the greatest number of the show. <laughs> um, election night. Oh my gosh, election night. Speaking of music, man. This should be part of AP US history. This song is like the the missing child of schoolhouse rock. Yeah. DHH is basically trying to explain the electoral process to Shrishing, and like it's just very convoluted when you hear it spelled out like this and kind of and honestly kind of like a south park way it it's presented so objectively that you're like wait is that really how we do it and the answer is yes that is that's how we do it it does the music man thing where it's kind of call and response like trouble trouble, trouble. <laughs> yeah and um and it like makes very specific commentary on Things that you are allowed to do. Like one of the things is every four years and you can spend as much money as you want to. And Trishing's like, wait, is that a good idea? And they just keep going. They're like, exactly. ignore him. They're like, we're going to keep going. I think sometimes on the left side of politics, we complain about there being too much money in politics. <laughs> yeah. And yet this year, Biden raised much more money and has spent much more money than the mm-hmm. right. So like we both complain about it and take advantage of it at the same time. It's like you hate the game, but you have to play the game. And you have to play yeah. it. Exactly. You're so right. Um, my favorite line in this is probably like, when do we vote? On the Tuesday after the first Monday in the month of November, which is just like... <laughs> On the Tuesday after the first Monday. It's it's so like, who came up with that? It cannot be the first of November is what it's saying. <laughs> The first Tuesday, as long as it's not the first of November. That's so funny. So, yeah, they just, it's like just this mini interlude where it's like, we're going to teach you about the Electoral College. And yeah, and so then it goes to the Electoral College, because even after, you know, he's explained essentially democracy and how everyone votes, etc. He's like, oh, I get it. So then whoever gets the most votes wins. And he's like, wrong. (laughs) We have the Electoral College. And um. And they kind of always talk about the ballot box as being like the thing. It's like this almost like a holy grail type mm-hmm. situation where uh, the almighty uh, ballot box will say, will announce the winner. It will come out and say six more weeks of winter, yeah. like that sort of thing. And um, and so then when they go into the whole electoral, electoral college thing, they go to the point of of even explaining like this was done originally so that farmers, oh, I can't remember, what is the line? The Electoral College ensured that smaller and rural states had a disproportionate say in selecting a president, which in the early days of our great nation ensured they could keep their slaves. Yeah, oh, that's what it is. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> yeah, if you just want a rundown of the Electoral College, how it works and why it doesn't really work. Election this night, is, soft power, original song. cast recording. Now on to college. There's more. Now on to college. The Electoral College. Oh, the Electoral College. Each of the 50 states receives a number of electors equal to its total number of senators and representatives. Wait. The electors are pledged to vote for the candidate of the party unless they choose not to. What? The winner, the majority of votes in each state take all the state's electors in a winner-take-all system. Why? The Electoral College ensured that smaller and rural states had a disproportionate say in selecting a president. Which in the early days of our great nation 
by the end of the song, they like, you know, pulled the the answer out of this magical ballot box that no one knows how it works. And it is they specifically say not Hillary Clinton. They yes, don't they, say Trump's name anywhere in the show. Not a one time. Nor do you ever see anyone as who mm-hmm. is playing President Trump. Right. They do make like Make America Great Again references and they do um, talk about things that are very obviously references to him, but there are no direct portrayals of him Mm -hmm. whatsoever. I actually think it's nicer to, in many ways, turn the the more cartoonish character into Hillary Clinton than than Donald Trump. It could go mean-spirited so quickly, but to take a character who was traditionally criticized for being cold and unfeeling and turn her into a musical theater character is kind of perfect. Mm-hmm. By including him, uh, I think it might date the show more. Mm-hmm. Instead, it just feels like this time capsule for a huge portion of the nation in 2016. Election night was like really upsetting to me. Um, yeah. My whole family's Republican. Like I understand I'm probably a little bit more of a moderate in terms of my liberalism. And yet, like, I was so disappointed by people who profess to practice the same beliefs that I do, that they would get behind someone uh, like President Trump. Yeah. As election night happens, they draw not Hillary Clinton out of the ballot box, which means that when DHH and Xue Xing return to their office, which is very clearly like a Chinese office, um, they get attacked because now there's people who hate china oh, running around right. they say they say not hillary clinton the guy who hates china right yeah very specifically they say that mm-hmm. and so they they're kind of like what 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 does this mean for us and mm-hmm. then as they go back to their their office um they get attacked because everyone's just kind of like well you're chinese get out of here we don't want you here Mm -hmm. um and dhh actually gets stabbed much like he was like before we started right a sad beautiful ending to the first act yeah this is like a like a cornerstone song i guess i don't i mean this is such a a huge song for the the show Mm -hmm. um that that doesn't even really have any political implications, but yeah. it's called I Am, and it's DHH talking about how he felt like he never really fit in with either culture, how he saw himself as American, but other people didn't because he looked Chinese. Hmm. And he just talks about his upbringing in America from a Chinese family and living in America and learning to be American and loving everything that means to be American, but also still not being able to be accepted as American. Yeah. And I I think it is a message that speaks a lot to minorities. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When it, and we'll talk about this later, but just the idea of, of never feeling like a whole person because you're not one thing and you're not the other. And as humans, we want so badly to belong. And when it seems that your life is made up of circumstances that make that impossible, at some point, the only option is that you have to realize you belong to yourself first. Right. And then within, and then within that, you find the freedom to belong to 
everyone, you know, but he's not there yet. And, and he expresses that in this song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, Xue Xing tries to reassure him, but, um, and, and say like, you are Chinese, like mm-hmm. your mannerisms, the things you do, I see that within you, you can be both. And it's, it's just, it, it's such a good song and such a, such a strong ending. Yeah. And then, and then he dies. But, <laughs> <laughs> but once again, like, how is this in the same show as like the cabaret number at, at the Ritzy McDonald's? And yet, <laughs> And yet it works. Like on paper, this should not work, but mm-hmm. it does. Even though these characters are in a certain way caricatures, they are still fully fleshed characters. And it's it's this weird thing that this show manages to do really well where you think you have these characters figured out, mm-hmm. but they keep showing you more depth. Agreed. I learned that from my father. Grab the check, pay the bill Don't shame your assistant when he can't keep up the pace Let him keep his dignity Maintain his place I guess that's face Yes, that's face But I'm American too I learned how to tell a story one with soul and emotion And filled with my devotion To a dream I believed in A dream we gave the world That was my art I guess that's heart So then we go to intermission And so you try you have, to figure out I was going to say <laughs> So it was intermission And then you like open up your program is like, did I miss something? <laughs> And so we just kind of like looked at each other and I was like, <laughs> I was like, I thought I knew what was happening up until we got to the McDonald's number and then I lost it. <laughs> oh, I was at, at this point I'm on cloud nine. And also I'm really tuned in because once again, it was opening night. So right. opening night energy on top of all of this, like there is a buzz, like a palpable buzz in the theater and it might be confusion, but it's electric. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we were kind of like, I don't know what's going on, but again, I'm willing to go on the ride. I'm here to stay on the ride. And (laughs) like, we've made it this far. (laughs) And because also it's interesting how intermission is right after the scene where in the original the original timeline that timeline stops when he gets stabbed because then you got get brought into this fantasy mm-hmm. and at intermission now you're that's where you are you're at the end of this um end of reality so you have no clue what's going to happen next yeah whatsoever. what are you being launched back into and so then we come back from intermission and the canon that we're shot out of is a Q&A about the musical that we're currently watching. Yeah, I'm not set, making this up. Set, uh, what is it? 150 years in the future? Yeah, I think so. This, this Q and a is also, I, I feel like I keep saying this is like the most important scene. <laughs> it's like every scene. Um, 
But it is truly like this Q&A is such an because first of all, it's not a second act opener. It's a bunch of actors sitting in chairs like a talkback and they're talking about the show with the common knowledge, like we mentioned earlier, that this musical has become the phenomenon of musical theater. Yeah, they literally say you've just seen the first act of the show as it's celebrating its like 150th anniversary and the show that like has launched into the world. And the way that this this panel is created, it's the um the descendants of the people who are credited to writing this show as well as the supposed descendant of Shrishing and um That's right. And then they have the the token, quote unquote, American perspective, who they always <laughs> just talk over. Their condescension is there. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, they're like, oh, yeah, our fathers took this provincial art form and Struggling. launched it. <laughs> yeah. This, this like New York based art form and launched it across the world. And the American guy is like, this was a very successful like American art form that you appropriated. And they were like, your American shows were about cats and talking lions. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I was both laughing and somewhat triggered by this scene. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Because I think I realized that in my, my pride of the American musical theater tradition, I have done exactly the same thing and now you know based on a series of events 150 years later the tables have turned and i'm like how dare they (laughs) (laughs) and i think one of the things they mention is also like we were the first true artists of this art form and he's like no well like there were you know american artists and they're like those were just local craftsmen (laughs) 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 like oh my god oh shoot Oh, it's it's scathing. I don't remember how they end this scene. I think they end up in a fight or something like that. And they're like, let's just go back to the second act. Yeah, it's it's pretty clumsy. I'm not going to lie. This was what made me understand what this show was. Oh, it's a parody. That's so interesting. And so now so now we launch back into act two of Soft Power, which is the musical within the play Soft Power with. (laughs) Got it. Yeah. And we like lights up on Hillary Clinton sitting alone in her bedroom with a quart of ice cream and a box of pizza <laughs> in your which honestly is a familiar scene from my own election night. Yes. It's also kind of a familiar act to opener, right? Where we were left with a cliffhanger. The the tensions are very high and we're like uh we're introduced back into that world through a kind of comedic song that both the kind of the plays both sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, a, it's a great number. It's like, you know, a real showstopper for her. Yeah. I love it because it's like, she gets to say all the things that she's wanted to say, but couldn't because she was a politician. But yeah. now she's like, I don't care anymore. And it's wish fulfillment because it's everything we've always wanted to hear Hillary Clinton say. Yeah. And so it's it's a very satisfying number. I was on the campaign trail for three years. Three years. 
ditch the pantsuit? Why, Hillary, aren't your lungs more spry? Hillary, show us your MRI. Hillary, try, Hillary. Too smile more. Smile more. So Hillary is like busy wallowing in self-pity. And then, surprise, surprise, Trishing comes back out of nowhere. And he's like, I'm in trouble. My friend just died in front of me. And what happened to your country? Right. And they they start talking about, like, cultural differences and whether democracy really is the way to go. What being happy means. This is now the song Happy Enough. Another gorgeous song. Yeah. Happy Enough is great because I think... That uh, it's I, I keep talking about bridges, but it, it it's seeing these two characters meet in a similar in a similar way, but from different points of view. Mm-hmm. One of the things that this song also speaks to is how, even though they're very different issues, the issues that racial minorities and women face can mm-hmm. be similar, or at least like make them feel unaccepted in a similar way and Mm. that both groups kind of have to watch what they say and make sure they don't offend people as much as like white men do. Mm -hmm. And Shishing talks about how he may not be completely happy necessarily, but he has a duty to his wife and to his daughter and that has to be good enough for him. And Hillary like has to maintain this public image and demonstrate her virtues in a way that, she can only be virtuous and they they sort of connect upon how part of the show is the clash between saving face and following your heart and mm-hmm. how Shing by like sort of coming to america and learning about america he is in a way following his heart and hillary in hiding a lot of what she truly believes is saving face and so they sort of meet in the middle about we do both of these things and exactly it's you know, the which ultimate is, love song. Yeah, which is a culmination of what we were talking about in I Am, right? And mm-hmm. even at the very beginning in that, in the little one-act play that is at the beginning where where DHH is, is like, I can't write about both things. But then with this song, we see that it is possible, right? Mm-hmm. That we are not as different as we as we think we are. Right. And if you consider that this is still taking place in his head, it's like him sort of trying to rationalize how these two things can come together. Yeah, it's almost like an epiphany for the writer yeah. himself. Mm-hmm. Which is, it, it really is very beautiful. I think this actually also takes place on the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh my because, gosh, you're right. Because why bad not? geography is still a thing. I was taught to be strong We were hit if we cried Who am I to want more Than my status and pride I'm happy enough I'm happy enough I was taught I could be anything I wanted Even President of the United States If I worked hard enough, gave my all enough, so I worked 
and I gave to my people in my country till I realized today that there's nothing left inside. I gave all of me away, and why am I so lonely? I'm never enough. The next scene, I think Hillary's campaign manager comes back in. And basically says, like, oh, it's not safe for you because the new administration is out for you. You have to hide. And Xue Xing is very, very inspired all of a sudden to actually mm-hmm. follow his heart and try to fix the country. Fix America. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Um, try to single-handedly fix America. And he's like, I'm going to go go to D.C. and, like, you know, figure it out. And so, you know, he goes to D.C. in like an hour from Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. Because geography doesn't exist. He just like strolls on in. (laughs) Though before he gets there, um, we have a, I guess it's a production number called Good Guy with a Gun, which is just a very fun number, but also very dark. Yeah. Look, this is this is one of those numbers when it probably works better on the album because the guy playing Randy Ray sounds incredible and the song is really fun in the theater. I was like, Ooh, I was cringing a little bit. Um, from the content or from the staging? Um, I think a little bit of both. I was a little tired of guns, honestly. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the point. But what's interesting is you know, in musical theater, we always talk about second act problems, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's much easier to write a good first act than a good second act in the middle of this, like revisiting the show this is the section where I'm like, oh, wow, even the musical within the play has second act problems. (laughs) (laughs) DHH knows what theater is. (laughs) That being said, great song. Sung by Raymond J. Lee, who is fantastic in this. Yeah, incredible. And he plays the vice president and it, it starts off very ominously. They're like, oh, yeah, we're gonna, you know, destroy cheat in China. And and then they suddenly break out into like square dancing. It sounds like Aaron Copeland, like like ro- rodeo, rodeo. Mm-hmm. And he's basically like, oh, yeah, like we're all good guys with a gun. That's what you need. That's what solves <laughs> problems. If the guy who's against you has a gun, well, then you just need a bigger one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's time to get real tough with folks so we can liberate them. Drop our bombs to help them And not because we hate them We're kind to all our friends And stray dogs that come along That's how we know our hearts are right And we can do no wrong Good guy with a gun Good guy with a gun Life can be so simple for A good guy with a gun You'll never lose face When your finger's on the trigger The world's a scary place so get a gun that's bigger. And then Shrishing bursts in and he's like, wait, guys, like we should talk. You know, when you like see sports movies and it's like that one last locker room talk. Yeah, the coach. And win the, ch- <laughs> yeah. the coach's big speech. <laughs> this is the equivalent of that. <laughs> and um one of my favorite lines that I remember from this, Trishing's like, China already has enough weapons to blow up, like, the entire world. Like, this will not end well. And the vice president's like, well, we have enough weapons to blow up the entire world seven times. And he's like, but there's only one world. Like, you can't <laughs> blow it up more than once. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so real. 
Yeah. So um, I, I'd say the the rest of the music in this musical from here on out, these um, almost spiritual gospel-y type numbers, beginning with this one, The New Silk Road. Yeah. So Shrishing tells them about how China is already doing this thing where they're um, banding together a bunch of nations to sort of join together in creating a better place and that it's still possible for America to join mm-hmm. as long as they give up their guns and they approach this peacefully. And he sings this very like inspiring pre 11 o'clock number song, I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> about why this should be the way forward. Yeah. Um, and just to also again, read from the commentary from David Henry Huang. The title and refrain of this number references China's Belt and Road Initiative, a foreign aid program launched in 2013 through which China lends money to other nations to strengthen their infrastructure while expanding its own influence. The program has been accused by critics as being a new type of colonialism. We thought New Silk Road was a much catchier name for this initiative. The fact that China didn't come up with that branding in the first place helps to explain why they don't have soft power. <laughs> oh, that's a writer. Some call you barbarians, warmongers, obese. But I believe you tire of your soldiers and police. Inside, you want the killings and the wars to cease and live in peace. So join us. Let's come together on a new Silk Road. Let us help PS forget what we are owed. Walk beside us on a new Silk Road. So he he magically manages to get everyone on his side. And they're all like standing together on this new Silk Road. (laughs) And then um, Shrishing goes back to Hillary. And he's like, I did it. They didn't kill me. I'm alive. <laughs> Everything's fine now. And we're all gonna follow China on the New Silk Road. And that's when she's like, wait a second. And she just like gets this incredible song. <laughs> she's like kind of offended that he believes that China is the way to go and the leader to follow. Yeah. She's like, just because I'm upset with my country doesn't mean that I don't believe democracy is a good idea. Yeah. And so she sings this kind of a torch number almost. Yeah, it's it, it reminds me of Violet a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's called Democracy. It feels like a song to me. I, this is a total guess, but it feels like a song where uh, where DHH had some lyrics and Janine Tesori wrote something based mm-hmm. on those words. Yeah. And part of seeing this show twice and kind of remembering this song is you do notice a lot of these words have been interspersed throughout the show, both Mm. in the play and in the musical. And so it's all culminating to this one song where Hillary Clinton has to stand by her country and stand by what she believes in. And this ultimately ends up in their breakup. Um, and, And she's left standing alone on stage to finish the rest of the song. It's also a really interesting view. Um, because like let's be honest the 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 target audience for this musical are people who voted for Hillary Clinton right um and 
I would also, I, and I would argue a fair portion of those people, myself included, have probably joked about moving <laughs> out of the country. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and so this is to have Hillary, the character, stand on stage and be like, no, I'm not moving. I'm not leaving. And I'm not going to completely throw away the baby with the bathwater simply because things didn't go the way I wanted. Uh, is a pretty fierce position to take. Yeah. She's like, we have to, like, I still believe in this country and I believe in the people here, but we have to do work to fix it, mm-hmm. which is very true. I swear I'll give it up before it downright kills me. Then it comes back again with promises that This is also where the LA and New York productions differ after this song. Oh, please do tell. If you remember the LA production after this song, there's a scene that's set, I think, like, I don't know, 50 years in the future, still within the musical. But um, it's Shrishing on his like deathbed, talking to his daughter about... His experience with Hillary Clinton before the actual DHH in the original play, like sort of wakes up from this from this dream he's concocted uh-huh. in the New York version. And I think this is a, a superior way of coming out of it. After Democracy, Hillary Clinton, she's alone on stage um, after singing Democracy. And DHH comes from one of the audience side doors. He like screams no and runs to the stage. (gasps) And he's like, this can't be how it ends. And then as he's doing that, the set is like transforming around him and ends up with him back in his hospital bed waking up. Whoa. His mind can't figure out what to do after that anymore. Right. It's like almost the impetus for his waking up. Is right. the ending of this musical. Mm-hmm. In his sort of fictional version of Hillary Clinton, she wouldn't give up on America, but there's still no answers in terms of what can we do now mm-hmm. that we're in this new regime? Mm-hmm. Because if we do this whole new Silk Road idea, that's giving up on democracy. But we've had so many conflicts with democracy and the tagline of this show, at least when it was in L.A., was democracy can break your heart. Ooh, that's a great tagline. I remember walking out of the show and, you know, those posters that you um, mm-hmm. described earlier. Every other one was just democracy can break your heart. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Suddenly it hits you in a whole new way after seeing the show. He does another monologue. We're back to play mode. And the monologue is also different. Um, He's basically like, I'm an Asian living in this new regime where the president doesn't care about minorities. I I just know that this wasn't the same because I remember in New York being hit even harder than I remembered being hit in LA by the end of this monologue. Shrishing comes by DHH's hospital room 
and tells him this Chinese saying, if somehow you survive when you should have died, good fortune will follow. And he says, I hope this proves true for you all. Mm. And so when DHH leaves the hospital bed, he gives this monologue again about, I don't know what my future is. And he talks about how when he's walking down the street, people will see him and only see him as a Chinese man, not necessarily as an American. And he he brings up the fact that they weren't able to solve his attack. Their best guess is that it was a hate crime in the wake of the election. And he says, well, like, I can't give up on this country. And the best way that I can do that is to write a show where everyone in the show looks like me. And then the the curtains part and the entire cast is just in a line in casual clothes and they start singing the reprise of democracy. That's freaking awesome. No, I don't remember that ramp up. I do remember them all being in uh, normal clothes. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful. Yeah. I, I cried in that theater. Oh, I love that. Being able to see that many people um, like in a musical theater show that yeah. isn't about you know Miss Saigon or exactly. that isn't set in an Asian country. They're it's not set in America. dressed in gold lame. <laughs> yeah. They have on denim and they probably went to school like you. Mm-hmm. And it's a musical yeah. on top of all of that. Like how how sweet and special as a musical mm-hmm. theater fan to have that kind of representation. Yeah. It's like a, a seasons of love moment mm-hmm. where they're just standing there. Part of the ensemble sings Welcome to America. And then they transition into This is America, which is, again, just a line of of Asian American actors singing mm. This is America Ugh. and and singing about democracy. Yes. That makes me so happy. Yeah. That's that's the show. That's soft power. Musical theater does hope better than any art form out there. <laughs> yeah. And for sure. That's just facts. Mhm. Yeah. And I mean we've talked about how um some of the transitions and parts of this can be clunky i think the the specifically play parts of it are probably they can be a bit heavy-handed i think because they have a lot of things they want to get across there's a lot to say in a short amount of time in many ways as a play it has to operate as a musical you know um because usually in a play you have a long time to to say a lot of things but and in musicals it's completely the opposite you have to get to the next song so you have to boil a lot of information down to very short scenes and sometimes you la- you lose nuance because of it mm-hmm. this whole show soft power is so experimental that i i readily and gladly forgive any of those clunky th- moments because uh because it dares to be so unique and yeah. um and I'm grateful we have it. Yeah, a hundred percent. This show really thrives on a huge production, you know, and it allows I think a lot of it it it, it can allow for more clarity um in terms of storytelling, but also in terms of impact to see this quote unquote legendary musical from the future produced on a grand level right mm-hmm. um so in many ways it fits the bill as a show that would be perfect for a large-scale broadway production and yet at the same time is a horrible idea <laughs> yeah. for a for a broadway production because it is so risky and takes so much so many chances 
with mm-hmm. not only uh, subject matter, but like the audience's experience in general. So what a, what a fascinating what a fascinating show to find a home for. The way that this works and doesn't work is again because Broadway and theater makers and people who are theater fans tend to be liberal. So it is a bit preaching to the choir, but because they add this sort of Asian perspective to it, I think it does still add something. Like when we saw what the Constitution means to me, Cindy was like, that was good, but it wasn't anything new or shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and like for most people seeing that who like are Broadway fans, I, I would imagine they might have the same reaction. Yeah. But this adds another layer to it. Because it is, it's also like examine yourself and mm-hmm. your own art form. Once again, the the big eleven o'clock number is one of the most patriotic numbers ever written for musical theater. A love letter to democracy, you know, for better or worse, uh, for a an audience who tends to be very critical of of everything that is confronting. And like you said, it forces us to look within and and either be hopeful or figure out why we're not. Yeah. One of the cool things about this government is that the better we are as a nation, the better our country is. Yeah. And that, you know, it demands it's it demands of us to be better people. Mhm. I think from just like a purely dogma standpoint or like theological standpoint and i don't think a lot of countries can say that yeah Um, and so it makes me want to be a better person yeah you can in this country go through an election like we did in 2016 and there's still an opportunity there's an opportunity to wake up Mm -hmm. get your stuff together get organized and make sure it doesn't happen again and like essentially democracy makes that possible yeah, for sure. Oh, shout out to my friend Daniel May, who is in the ensemble in both LA and New York. Oh, amazing. So exciting that he got to do both both productions. Oh, yeah. And I, I think they just kept the same entire cast, which is yeah. awesome. Rarely happens. Good for them. And the cast is fantastic. They are so strong. And so many new people that we haven't seen or don't know very well from musical theater. Mm-hmm. Well... Thank you again for coming on and doing this with me. Of course. My pleasure. It was especially great to talk about this year, pre-election. Yes. So if you, listener, still have the chance, make sure you go out and vote. Otherwise, you can stay up to date with what we're doing by following us on Instagram or Twitter at BottomlessBWay. You can always subscribe to us in whatever podcast player you're using to listen to this. Or email us anything at bottomlessbway at gmail.com. And you can find Jeff at a musical theater podcast. Yes. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at a musical podcast. And um, come join the conversation. We love having conversations about the cultural and emotional impact of shows just like uh, Soft Power. Yes. It's a great podcast. Thank you. Cool. All right. Well, Thanks for listening. I'm going to put a ton of links in the show notes for any video footage of Soft Power that's been released. And stay tuned to see what we do next. I was taught in the land of the free. I was taught 
where they screamed at me, life, life, liberty, liberty. How can I turn my back on democracy? Good fortune will follow if we somehow survive in America. 